Welcome back to Becoming Your Best Version. I am your host, Maria Leonard Olson. I started this podcast three years ago to highlight the voices of amazing women who have inspired me in some way. I practice law in the nation's capital, U.S., for those of you listening abroad, which is Washington, D.C. I am an author, public speaker, journalist, mentor to women in recovery, and I will spend the rest of my life helping other women through my experiences in whatever way I can. My latest book is called 50 After 50, Reframing the Next Chapter of Your Life. In that book, I talk about how I overcame significant traumas and challenges in my life. And I did a TEDx talk at City University of New York entitled Turning Life's Challenges into a Force for Good, which is essentially a summary of my last book. I'm currently working on a book on the unintended consequences of consumer DNA testing because my DNA surprise rocked my world. So if you have a DNA surprise in your background, please contact me. Or even if you're considering doing a consumer DNA test, I have a lot of information to share to prepare you for what might upend your life as it did mine. I had no reason to think that, for instance, my father is not, my father who raised me is not my biological father. In any event, if you could go to that TEDx talk and hit the like button to move it up in the visibility algorithm, that would be great because we all know this is a numbers game in some respects and numbers of likes move anything up in the visibility algorithm. So I get to interview people from all over the world. Gail Marlene Schwartz is with us today and she's joining us from Vermont, a beautiful part of the United States. She is a dual citizen, a US citizen and a Canadian citizen, a relationship artist and above average pianist. She's the co-author of the books, My Sister's Girlfriend and The Loudest Bark. She's also co-editor of the forthcoming essay collection, Boyhood Reimagined, stories of queer moms raising sons. She is a founding editor of Hotchpotch Literature and Art, a collaborative online magazine, and also a freelance editor, writing coach, and writing instructor at the Community College of Vermont. Gail lives in Montpelier, Vermont with her partner, Erin. She spends every other weekend in the beautiful city of Montreal with her best friend, Lucy, and their teenage son, Alexi. Gail Marlene Schwartz is an award-winning author. She has penned a Jewish queer coming-of-age novel that fearlessly explores the difficult topics of mental health, suicide, and addiction. Inspired by her own journey with anxiety and healing from childhood trauma, this book called Falling Through the Night, which will be available starting February 25th, captures many of the growing pains of young queer folks as they struggle to find their footing and independence in adulthood, to which much of Gail can deeply relate. In this episode, if we have enough time, I am hoping 
that Gail will focus on or touch on how this story takes inspiration from Gail's own relationship with her mother, her personal struggles with, struggles with anxiety, and the suicide of her childhood best friend. The ways in which classification and labeling can be helpful and harmful in terms of mental illness. The importance of found family and how the LGBTQIA community as a whole has redefined what it means to choose your own family. The complex decision to put a child up for adoption or to adopt a child and the trauma that can come with those very decisions. The representation of Judaism, a faith that Gail shares with her main character. In short, Falling Through the Night is a deeply moving novel aimed to emphatically demonstrate the complexities when healing from trauma, while also showcasing the joy and community of queer folks, topics that I think are in alignment with the Becoming Your Best Version podcast listeners. The publisher at Gail's last publishing house, Rebel Mountain Press, whose name is Lori Schwedes. <laughs> Thank you, Gail. <laughs> says about this book, the winning combination of Schwartz's beautifully crafted prose and attention to detail allows the reader to journey with Audrey, the character in the book, across two countries in her quest for a new family and a better life. Falling through the night shines a light on the ups and downs of anxiety disorder and spins a story where the LGBTQ protagonist learns to recognize and accept herself, but so does everybody else. You can learn more about Gail at gailmarleneschwartz.com. She's also on Twitter and Instagram, and her email is available in the show notes. So you don't need to write this down, folks. Just listen and learn. This is an amazing guest, and I'm so pleased that her path has crossed mine. Welcome, Gail. Thank you so much, Maria. I appreciate that lovely introduction. Well, there's a lot to say about you. You've done a whole lot for many different communities. And from what I know about you, the LGBTQIA plus community is very important to you. And you also know that my son is gay and he is doing a lot to raise awareness and normalize same-sex relationships and mental health, which I think is something that you do as well. So was this hard for you? Did you have family acceptance early on in your life? I have a, I have a different kind of situation because I'm not actually very close to my parents. My mom has several diagnoses, although she's not being formally treated. And um, and my dad and I are close for different reasons. So acceptance was never really that important. Um, I was out doing my own thing at a pretty young age. And it honestly gave me a lot of freedom that a lot of my peers didn't have. Mm. So as I consider myself pretty fortunate um, and they were, they were accepting. I, I don't think that was a tough ask for either of them. Well, that's a blessing. Uh, yeah. I, know, I know a lot of people for whom that is not true. Yeah. And I used to host the only LGBT radio show in Washington, D.C. called Inside Out. Folks who are listening, uh, the Inside Out LGBT radio Facebook page still is full of really great information and is uh, 
is essentially run by one of my former co-hosts as well, Michael Sharp, who who has adopted a son and who has one of the most beautiful families I've ever had the pleasure of witnessing. So do yourself a favor, go to, if you're on Facebook, go to Inside Out LGBT Radio and, and enjoy it. It's a really well done social media channel. So getting back to Gail. Okay, Gail is living her best life in a beautiful part of the United States. Uh, you have a loving partner and uh, is Alexi your son? Yeah, she, he and my partner, Lucy, um, we were married. Um, we're not together as a couple anymore, but uh -huh. we him 13 and a half years ago. His birthday's in March and we're very close now. The four of us, my current partner, Lucy and Alexi, we, we do a lot of holidays together and it's a very, very fortunate situation that my ex and I are, are still very, very close. I don't, I mean, even just saying my ex is, is a very weird thing. Cause I don't really think of her as an ex, anything. She's very current in my, in my reality. We talk every day and she's, um, she helps me when I bump up against my own limitations. <laughs> wow. Before, is she's a really important person in my life. And you call her your best friend. She is my best friend. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's really a beautiful thing. Yeah. Yeah. It was actually a really, um, a sweet moment when we went to get our divorce, we went to, there was a special pathway to do that in Canada where you're, you don't have anything contested. So you, you apply together, you have the same attorney and, and, uh, the woman that we, the, the representative of the attorney where we were, she had had a really long day and she came in and she just looked really wiped out. And, and she said something like this was our, her fifth or sixth conference with divorcing couples and then you know in the course of it she she needed a document she would get up and we just got very comfortable with her and she at one point she said you guys just seem really cool with each other <laughs> she said we're we're best friends and, and she was really shocked and she said I don't think I've ever I've ever I've never had a divorcing couple who had that before so it was just sweet and um, we got to talk with her about how We've worked on a relationship both when we were together as a couple and now because we continue to work on it. So yeah, that was kind of a sweet moment. Wow, that really gives me hope for on many levels. I mean, that was not my experience with my divorce. So thank you for sharing that. I, I'm really interested in your description of yourself as a relationship artist. What does that mean? So yeah, that's something that I was thinking about because I went to, I went to Goddard. I went to, um, for, for graduate school, I have an interdisciplinary arts. My MFA is interdisciplinary arts. And it's because when I think about what I do and my artistic process, it really is about making relationships. And that's, that's the, that's the highest value. If the relationships are not, um, if we're not in right relationship, it doesn't really make any difference to me what it is I'm making. And I think that's a particular focus. So whether it's teaching, whether it's um, doing, I'm doing a music gig at the college where I teach. It's all about how we come together, how we communicate, how we treat each other, the values with which we're moving through whatever the experience is. And I just really, whether the, if there's a conflict, how we meet the conflict, how we look at ourselves, or, you know, if we're blaming the other people, that's, that's not how I want to show up, you know? So I really start with that as the the cornerstone of what it is I'm trying to do in the world. 
So when you talk about your art, uh, are you referring to your writing? Well, I write, I also, um, I make music and I do some, I do visual art as well. So, and I don't, I mean, I write professionally. That's my, that's my professional focus, but I don't know if you can see the instruments in the background, but. Oh, um, now I can. So describe them because. Yeah, there's a, there's a cello, there's a viola, violin. I have an electric piano. My partner has a mandolin and several guitars and we spend a lot of time making music and it's, and it's not, it's not about um being the best it's about the joy it's about sharing it it's about learning it's about going a little step further than where we were yesterday and um yeah and again it's it's something that it's the glue that binds the relationships it's not about the thing in itself and that's always that's always how it is and even in writing if i'm writing something it's really about the relationship i have with the characters it's the relationship i'm going to have with the readers it's if the readers have a relationship with each other it's it's trying to cultivate a certain type of connection ah that is beautiful i have never and i've been doing this for three years had anyone remotely describe anything like that i love that and i hope that anyone listening here who has any artistic ability will consider their art uh and maybe consider it relationship art. I love that. Thank you for sharing that. That's truly beautiful. I hope that more people become relationship artists. (laughs) And part of that was, I mean, I had a really strong um, three years at Goddard and it's, it's a really unique place. And there were people who were, we were taught how to, what we weren't taught, we were encouraged to craft our kind of artistic mission statement and to describe our practice in a way that kind of transcends genre. So that was that was something that I really took from that experience. So I can't just claim that as my own thing. It was really something that was nurtured. Well, regardless, I, I do have to ask you to explain to our listeners um, more about what guarded Goddard is and where it is, because there are a lot of schools in Washington named the same thing. Oh, yeah, that's interesting. Goddard College is in Plainfield, Vermont, which is not very far from where I live. And most of the programs, if not all, I think, are low residency. You go for um, 10 days out of the semester, and then the rest of the work that you do is digital. Um, It was one of the first distance learning programs, I think, in in North America, and it's also a very, very progressive school. So a lot of the philosophy is um, is just very progressive. And, and the MFAIA is a particularly progressive um, program. So what was, does MFAIA stand for? It's Masters of Fine Arts in Interdisciplinary Arts. Okay, you said that, but I've never heard of that before. And it sounds really interesting. Yeah. Uh, thank you. Maybe yeah. someone listening will pursue that. And especially since it's an um, a distance learning program, that means people listening in midlife could actually study that. Yes, for sure. Yeah, it's very, very, very um, adaptable to adult life. Beautiful. I love it. I love it. Love it. You're, you're a very brave author. I mean, I'm an author too. And I have written about some of my life's challenges. I have not written about my own 
anxiety in any great detail or about the suicides of various people in my life, but you meet it head on. How did you get so brave to write about these topics? I don't know. I've, I've heard that before and I don't consider something that's actually quite fascinating. That's happened to me in the last six months. My son was diagnosed with high functioning autism. And, um, what's, what's super interesting about that is I've had, I have a lot of friends who are psychologists or clinicians, mental health clinicians. And, um, two of those friends have commented to me over the years that my mom could possibly have an autism diagnosis. So, when this happened with my son, uh, at first I was incredulous. I'm like, there's no way he's super emotionally connected. He's, but in fact, because the expansion of that um, spectrum has really grown and, and we're just seeing neurodivergence in really different ways. Um, I'm fairly sure that I'm on the spectrum too. Fairly sure. Because when, when we when we looked at the the criteria that they were using for Alexi, a lot of them were things that apply to me. Like for example, I never recognize flirting. I never know when it's happening. I just don't see it. I don't understand office politics. I'm super direct. I've got tactile stuff. I mean, a lot, a lot, a lot of the the criteria are things that I strongly relate to. So I think <laughs> some of the quote bravery. I think part of it is just neurodivergence. I just, I'm very, very much a straight shooter. I tell things like it is, I don't have a lot of shame. I'm very direct. And I actually think a lot of it just comes out of the way my brain is. It doesn't really occur to me not to just be very plain about what my experience is. So that is fascinating, Gail. Wow. I know it's, it's a bit weird, but, um, it's yeah, not weird at all. My partner says, I, I always thought you had a, you were very ethically all about, you know, being truthful. In fact, you're really just but there's truth to it probably. I mean, for that, sure. For sure. that explains a lot of human behavior to me. So I think so. Wow. Does your mom, is your mom a person who would be open to exploring the possibility that she is on the spectrum or not? She doesn't have that kind of perspective. She's extremely limited. Right. Uh, but the people actually in the place, the senior facility where she is, I did have a conversation with them and they're like, oh yeah, maybe um, just watching and interacting with her and some of her behaviors. Wow. So, yeah. So that's pretty fascinating. But um, but actually I, yeah. something that's that's just relating back to writing. Uh-huh. Um, my parents sent me to a counselor when I was really young. I was either four or five, because I was the problem in my family. And um I was really angry about it. I didn't want to be there. I was being forced. I had big tantrums. They had to sort of drag me kicking and screaming into the the psychologist, uh, the psychiatrist uh it, it was a, a child psychologist and he had a room full of toys and games and all these kinds of things. And I remember the first thing I always would do, I would go into his room and he had this easel, you know, the wooden easels. Um, mm -hmm. And I would drag the easel, <laughs> put it in between our because <laughs> I didn't want to have to look at his ugly. <laughs> I was so like, and so that's how like we, I would just sit there and I wouldn't say anything. And that had a few sessions pass. 
And then he would, he, every single session, he would be like, how are you feeling today? And it just <laughs> so angry. I just wanted to like push the easel on top of him. One day he had these cards and I was really into writing and drawing. And one day he, um, he wrote, how are you feeling? And I wrote the words M-A-D, the, the letters M-A-D. I wrote mad and I put the card underneath the easel. I passed it, you know, like I was passing him a note. And then he passed me one back. I don't remember what it said, but we started passing notes. And that was like the first memory that I have of writing about what I was feeling. And and it eventually, it evolved into this really lovely relationship and this allegiance that he was really an advocate for me as a child. Oh my gosh, I have chills. That is a beautiful story. Thank yeah. you for yeah, sharing yeah. that. He was, he was really, his name is Dr. Sulky, S-O-L-K-Y. He's since passed, but um, he was a really important person in my life. So that was the first time. And I think since then, I've just always used writing as a way to explore who I am, explore what I feel, connect with other people. And so this idea of just taking some of my experiences um, and creating written work um it's just a very natural thing so that it, it evolves all of all of my work has something to do with that it doesn't it's i mean now i write fictional characters they're often very different from me but typically there's some sort of kernel of emotional resonance that it's something i've gone through that is so beautiful and i as you know write nonfiction. I do not believe I have any aptitude for writing fiction, but you do. Mm -hmm. And I would like to know how your writing process is insofar as you've just described that you typically try to connect with other people or reflect some something about your life in your works of fiction. So let's talk about your new book, Falling Through the Night. How closely does the story or the character align with who you are or what has happened in your life? There are a lot of similarities. Something that was interesting that I wanted to share with readers was my immigration experience um, to Quebec. So Audrey's experience somewhat parallels mine. A lot of the details are similar. I drew on neighborhoods where I've spent a lot of time in Montreal. Um, a lot of the, the paperwork and the actual administrative process and in terms of how overwhelming it was and how that actually unfolded was very similar. Some of my anxieties and stress around that process, that was shared. And Audrey's, uh, another thing that that is was central to her struggle, although it it manifested differently, this idea of Audrey really longing to create a healthy family. And that's something that I deeply, deeply wanted and um, and did, in fact, with my partner, Lucy, who I, I'm not with her anymore, but um, we did actually create a healthy family. There's also a lot of differences. I really wanted Audrey to be young and she, I decided to make her adopted. And that was interesting because later on she ends up um, deciding to give one of her twins up for adoption. So the the theme of adoption is something that was really interesting to me to explore. And that actually came from 
uh, a girlfriend that I had about 15 years ago who had a lot of adoption trauma. And that was, that was really interesting to me because I hadn't, I had several friends who were adopted, but they hadn't actually experienced adoption trauma. So I wanted to explore that through Audrey's trajectory. Um, Audrey also has a very strong relationship with her adoptive mom and a very positive one, although it's complex. So that was much more interesting to me um, to make them close and to have to have them go through some really difficult moments in their relationship and have to work those out. So that was a difference. Right, right. Well, you cover a lot of very heavy themes in this book, but I think you've done it in an effective way. And you mentioned your desire to create a loving family. And what does that mean to you? I think this idea of loving and healthy, I think healthy, it's its not quite the right word, but I haven't found the right word yet. Stay tuned, because I'm sure at some point I'll find something. But I think this idea of people really looking at themselves and um, and being on a path of introspection, and then the space that that opens up with people that you're in intimate with, I think that's a really different situation than a lot of group dynamics that exist in a lot of families where there's a lot of lying and manipulation and not owning ourselves and lots of blaming and power moves. And, and I just wanted, I wanted to create something else where there was a lot of trust and a lot of vulnerability and, um, and a lot of capacity to say, yeah, I did this thing and I'm really not proud of it. And I want to work on it. I want to get better. I want to improve. I, I want to see myself in my worst moments and I want to be willing to be seen in my worst moments. And I want to be with people who are both able to challenge me and call me when I'm, um, when I need that and also to love me and accept me and then, and to provide that for one another. So that's what that means. That sounds like utopia to me. I have not been able to achieve that. So I will continue searching. <laughs> I mean, it's, uh, it's not like anybody's, it's not about being perfect. It's just about, there's a certain sense of acceptance of how messed up we are. And that yeah. I like this idea that mess and success can coexist. We can really be, messy and we can really have a hard time with each other's mess and um and then we can also laugh about it and just have some distance and some acceptance and say you know we don't have to try so hard to cover up all the parts that are messy i love that i love i think you uh, if you're not going to use it in a social media post i am mess and success can coexist people yeah. and they uh, do it's not even that they can it's that they do like we're all we're all messy and we're all successful. And I think it's, it, we get so pinned down by these labels, you know, whether it's mental illness or problem child or ex-convict or, you know, whatever these labels are. And then it just ends up being way too powerful. Like we're so much more than any one aspect of our beings. Well, you sound really enlightened. And because I am 60 years old, and many of the men, I am hetero, uh, in my age group, in my experience, 
are socialized not to be vulnerable. Yeah. And I, my daughter says I should date women. (laughs) And because I want vulnerability, I want someone who can be introspective. I don't know if that exists among American men above age 60. I don't know. Mm. Do you? (laughs) I mean, I have some, I have male friends. Um, Let's see, are they straight? It's a good question. Yeah. I I have some bisexual male friends who Mm -hmm. say can be vulnerable and introspective. My gay son is extremely vulnerable and introspective, but most gay men don't want to date a straight woman. (laughs) (laughs) A little bit of a hard sell. (laughs) Yes. No, I mean, I honestly sometimes believe that I I firmly believe that I am responsible for my own happiness. And I sometimes believe that 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 happiness might be contingent on not being involved in a romantic way with anyone. Mm. I don't know if that's the case, but that's how I feel at this particular moment. Mm. So I do want to talk to you because I have recently found out that genetically speaking, I am half Ashkenazi Jew. And I know that the representation of Judaism in your books is very important to you. Why is that? It's just because I am Jewish. It's a part of me. It's a part of my identity. And I think like any, any group that doesn't necessarily have mainstream status, I think it's just always important to have characters in literature that have those, have those backgrounds um i think right now is it's this is a very interesting time to be a jewish author and it's a very complex time to be a jewish author and the magazine that i work on the hodgepodge mm-hmm. and art we're launching our fourth edition our volume two issue two and i'm actually writing a story that has to do with um the the conflict in the Middle East and the way this one particular character is really struggling with her relationships, both with being progressive and being Jewish and finding that a very difficult uh, combination of identities to hold. And it's it's a it's very, very complicated. There's there's trauma history, there's there's different roles that the Middle East situation it, to say it's complex is even too cliche. I, I don't know how to express that, but it's lots and lots of suffering in so many different ways. And I'm interested in exploring whatever is present, at least in my experience and being Jewish is certainly a big part of that. Well, I think that is also brave because people have lost, in my opinion, objectivity on anything having to do with the current Hamas-Israel crisis. Well, okay, that's that's hyperbole. That's a blanket statement. But many people in my life have lost the ability to see the other side of the issue. And it's, as you say, a very nuanced issue with an ex- incredible trauma history on both sides sure. of the battle line. It, it is almost, well, I hope it's not impossible, but it feels like an untenable, impossible situation to resolve. 
Yeah. It's, it's, it, I think there's a lot of feelings of hopelessness and, and I think part of it is to be able to embrace everything that's happening, all the perspectives of, I don't even think there's two sides. I think there's many more than good point. Good point. Just that like, there's much suffering, much strife. And I think a lot of people who were in the peace movement in Israel and Palestine are not even aligning themselves with the movement anymore because they feel so hopeless at this at this moment. It's a very difficult moment. Very, very difficult. Do you have any advice since you, in my opinion, are a deep thinker on such matters for those of us who feel hopeless? I, for myself, my challenge in my meditation is always to keep opening my heart to stay open, stay open and stay open and, and not get hardened toward anybody who's struggling and to just try to let it all in. And that's the most hopeful thing I can think of to do is just to stay open. And I to, love that. And shoot from a place of, shoot from a place of love. I mean, <laughs> let's, let's rephrase, let's rephrase keep, that. Keep, keep his arrows. Okay. Okay. I'll accept that. Yeah. But to, 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 to approach everything in, in, in an embrace, in the posture of an embrace. And, and that's a really hard thing to do in the face of anger and reactivity, even our own. But I, I think that's, that's the best I can come up with. I mean, I've been struggling too. It's not like I'm any different. That, that sounds very reasonable. I like your message and following on that question, it's a question I ask of all podcast guests because I've never gotten the same answer. And I just love this question because I learn from all my guests as I've already learned from you, Gail. What do you do, Gail, to become your best version? The most important piece for me is introspection. It's keeping my focus on myself, my choices, how can I grow and learn in this particular situation, especially if I feel like I'm engaging with someone who's wrong? The second I'm in a position like that, I know that I need to just adjust my perspective and I need to go back to myself. What can I do in this position? What can I do in this moment to grow, to learn, to take one little step beyond where I am now. And um, as soon as I go back to that question, then I feel like I'm on track. Wow, that is a powerful message. And I think it's a message that all of the listeners of this podcast will be receptive to. And it has not been given in the three years I've been doing this podcast. So thank you, Gail. You are you are just a treasure. And I look forward to reading more of your work. And I encourage all of you to go to Gail Marlene Schwartz, S-C-H-W-A-R-T-Z.com. Follow her on Twitter at G, Twitter or X now, at G Schwartz author or Instagram, Gail Marlene Schwartz author. And you can even email her because this is a very introspective, deep thinker at Gail Marlene Schwartz at gmail.com. Thank you for being with us. Thank you, Maria. I really, really appreciate the conversation. And we will join you next week for another inspiring woman's story who might give you something to think about or a different way of framing your current situation or 
just be entertaining. You never know. Tune in next week.